and of encounter, of calling and empowering, that somebody has changed irrevocably. Mike mentioned one at a gathering years ago. And each of us could plug back into memory banks and remember some of those moments for us. Something changed eternally. Anybody want to say amen to that tonight? It was a voice to Abraham from a God that he doesn't yet know that called him to a land of promise. It was a burning bush moment for Moses. You've preached these things. It was a voice in the night calling a young boy, Samuel, by name. A prophet who came to David, the shepherd boy, and looked beyond Jesse's choice, called David. A suddenly moment for 120 on the first Pentecost. Or a voice of Jesus arresting the fanatical Saul on a Damascus road. What happens in moments like that goes beyond the moment and comes to affect the destiny of communities and of cities and of nations. God is a God of suddenly moments. He still is. We can still believe him to change us in moments and to change those that we're praying about and concerned about and reaching out to. But moments aren't only for the moment. They're about propelling us into God's future. They're about activating things in our lives that are in line with his. You know, as we've been considering over these past few years, Elam's place in the purposes and the plans of God after a century of the Elam story, I really believe, not just because I'm supposed to believe and and was involved in some of those celebrations, that we have come to a moment. Not a chronological clock time moment, but what we call kairos time. A, A kairos moment. A season in God where things are changing. And as I've been reflecting on that and and making sure I really believe that, I've been stirred by the Spirit of God, I believe, that that moment, that kairos moment, requires of Elim, of each of us personally and, and together, some changes of posture and position. It's Duncan spoke to us this morning in the first session. But changes of mindset, changes of focus perhaps, but also of commitment and action and will. And it's not anymore just about private moments for Elim, much as we celebrate them. But I believe not just because there's been a change of GS, but because of a, a, a rising tide, a swelling current of the Holy Spirit in our story over these years, that Elim has come to a together moment. God calling the Elim movement to a together moment. It's more than the sum of our individual moments of surrender and calling and passion and pioneering advance. But it's a together moment where things begin to align for the purposes of God as they have aligned in times past for those that birthed a movement like this. I want to take you back to a boat on the Sea of Galilee. To a moment where Peter is called out of his personal visions and dreams for a better life and called into a bigger story. Back to a boat, a, a fisherman's boat, which had become for him, I believe, and I preached this in some of your churches recently, because God's been rooting me in some of these encounters with the moments when he, he, he met with ordinary men and women and called them to a new life. I believe that this boat had become for, for Peter a symbol of future dreams, plans, hopes and visions that he hoped would be more than just personal to him. His family would be different because of what he and his brother would do and in partnership with other brothers, James and John, as they set out on business, they set out on family life to fulfill the dreams of ambitious young Galilean 
fishermen. And I want you to turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 5. Familiar, really familiar story. We're going to use that as our starting point tonight. Luke 5. And I'll remind you of the story quickly from verse 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is Galilee. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, catching people. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I, I, I confess that I've been speaking about this in various settings over the last year. Jesus encountering a fisherman in his own boat. In fact, it's been something of, a, of a, a compulsion to me, going back to this and other stories like it, where the calling of the first disciples is, is, is shown to us in, in amazing detail. And also back to the book of Acts, the first steps on their new life together. I keep going back to them because I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring something in me and maybe in you also. In the Gospels, we see the, Jesus calling the first disciples to be people of mission. He was going to change things for them. Life was going to change. As he called them, not just to slightly enlarged dreams, but a whole different purpose for living. From now on, they were not just to be enlisted to a mission. They were to become people who carry mission, who reproduce mission, the mission of Jesus, the mission of the missionary-hearted God. And from the very beginning of the book of Acts, those people witnessing to those around them begin to take their first steps on the pathways of mission that the Holy Spirit has for them. The boat that Peter and Andrew had secured for themselves, was now theirs. They'd once dreamed of it. They'd maybe seen it in the catalogue. And they scrimped and saved for something that was going to enable them to get where they wanted to be. It was no longer a fantasy, a dream. They didn't just imagine it. It was tangible. It was real. It was a working boat for them now. The dream had become for them familiar. Then one day, Peter and Andrew are mending nets and Jesus steps into the boat. Some of you heard me say the moment he steps into that boat, he steps not just into the physicality of the boat, but the reality of Peter's hopes, dreams, ambitions, desires for a better life. He comes to a fisherman who's not in the crowd that day, who's not looking for him. He's been around him in Capernaum, we're sure of that. But this fisherman, that day, is not looking for Jesus. But Jesus pursues him and comes right where he is. Guys, how many of you noticed he does that with us? He comes for you. He meets you in a tent, he meets you in a gathering meeting, he meets you in a, a living room, he meets you on the bus, he meets you in your world and mine. The pursuing Jesus comes right into Peter's boat, gets his attention and, and, and begins to call for him, forth from him a response that is going to lead him to 
a new life, a new passion. Jesus steps into his boat. This is Jesus focused and intentional. He's preached to the crowd that day, yes, but now he's come for Peter. And you know it, some of you have preached this many times, that there comes a point where Jesus turns to Peter. I said before, we hear nothing about this, the sermon that day, no details as Matthew gives us of the Sermon on the Mount, of what happened in one of those days. Not a thing, not a verse. It's all about Jesus pursuing Peter. It's astonishing the way he pursues us. The way he'll step into your world, not just once, but into the very centre of your identity, your sense of who you are, our sense of what is ahead for us. And he comes to bring about something new. So here's Peter in his own boat, invited out into the deep for an encounter with Jesus. And out in those, those waters... As Peter lets down his nets for the greatest catch of fish that he's ever seen, he has an encounter with Jesus that changes everything. He's heard him speak to the crowds and kept himself apart, but here in the boat, there's no place to run or hide. And face down in fish, he tries to come to terms with the power and the presence of Jesus up close to him. He feels undone. He feels ashamed. And he feels I think, overwhelmed. And, and it bursts out of him as he's face down in the fish. Get away from me, Lord. You don't know who I am. I, I can't be around you. Overwhelmed, ashamed, feeling naked before him in his own boat. But that is not the end of the story. In, in fact, as you know, it's just the beginning because... Jesus immediately responds with these words that I want to take my title for tonight from. Don't be afraid. In other words, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to get away from you. Far from it. Don't fear. Don't be ashamed. I've come for you. And then he issues the words, the four words. Actually, three words. I'm ahead of myself. From now on. These words of promise are not mere possibility, but they're words that would propel Peter into his future. So what I want to speak to you about tonight, from now on words. From now on that isn't just a, an artificial line in the sand or a reordering of the furniture of our lives but a compulsion born of the Holy Spirit that we are going to be different. We're going to live differently. We're going to worship more fully. We're going to expand our spirits to the greater than that God has for us. Not because of our ability or how pumped up we feel, but because of his word, his whisper to our spirit, his clear voice that he has come for us. And he's come into the boat of your world. And he's come into the mending net moments. And he's come into the distracted from what the crowd is seeking moments. He's come into familiar places with us. Church familiarity. Ministry familiarity. And he said, from now on, come with me. Let's go. Let's move. I, I, I want with all my heart tonight to say that's where I think we are. Humbly, reverently, I'd want to say, I think Jesus is coming for us. I think he's stepping into your and my experience again. And he'll do it personally and speak our name. And he's speaking words that call us from now on to a new future. Three things I see about Peter's from now on in that boat moment. Number one, Peter was invited to intimate relationship with Jesus. A life rooted in relationship with him. Again, Duncan reminded us this morning of his presence. And, and that it was life with him, not just a course in discipleship or a plan, a program for some action. But it was a life of worship and love 
of prayer, life and hearing and knowing his voice. So there was an invitation to intimacy with Jesus. How many of you would say that that whatever we believe about the future landscape of our nation and the future landscape of the church, we know that Jesus is coming for his bride. He's coming for lovers. Simon's always reminding us he's not looking for leaders, but lovers. And I kind of mostly believe that. But he also wants some lovers who will lead, who will do that with faith and courage and vision and stir muster all their leverage and all their influence to say, Jesus is come that we might have life and that we might take life to others in his name. So it's about intimacy. An outstretched hand comes to Peter in that boat to lift him up from the fish and out of the boat. I think there are some outstretched hands coming to weary leaders, familiar places, To lift us up and lead us out from now on. I want to suggest to you, I'll use that as something of a rhythm tonight, that that's a Holy Spirit quickening word to us, to you, to me, to Elim. Peter was envisioned to live, secondly, the miraculous life. In that boat, he gets a picture of what God can do. He knows what he has done in the past with his best fishing efforts. He knows what their combined resources of two teams of brothers and a life adventure together has done. That this is what Jesus can do. This is what blows his mind. And in a moment he gets just a taste of the miraculous exponential life that God has not just for Peter, but for all who would accept Jesus' call to get out of the boat with him. And so from that moment, the from now on is to, a, to a, a, a greater life, greater impact, influence, fruitfulness, harvest, greater fishing, yield, greater catch. The third thing that happens there is that in that moment, Jesus not only calls him to himself, not only calls him to the miraculous exponential life, but he calls him to a mission. He calls him to join him in a fresh adventure of mission with Jesus. And, and it's, all, it's kind of funny when Jesus says to him, from now on, it's not just fish. You're going to catch people. I want to suggest to you that though that's really familiar to us, it's exactly what he's doing to us in 2017. Stepping into your life and mine as we become so familiar with what we know and what we have and what we've done and what we've seen or not seen and saying, I've come for you. From now on, it's personal to me. I want you to join me in a fresh adventure and I want you to take some steps out of what you know and out of what has stretched you with all your resources so far. I've got something more. And I want to say that because even though it's really obvious, it's the heartbeat, I think, of the Holy Spirit for his church. So this was going to mean no longer catching fish, but people. But it was going to take Peter to people and places ahead where he would never have dreamed of going or desired to go. When our kids were small, we loved a book in our house by Dr. Zeus, that great American wordsmith writer, the cat in the hat and all that stuff, the Grinch that stole Christmas. But one of our favorites was just a little book called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Anybody know it? Oh, the Places You'll Go. It's written for kids. And, you know, I still can't read it without a lump in my throat. I get all emotional because I don't want them to go. But it says you're going to live a life of going places and all the places you'll go. I think Jesus in a boat was saying to Peter, Peter, come with me. The places you'll go. You won't always want to go there, but I tell you the things you're going to see. They'll blow your mind. They'll trump your dreams. Can we say that word? It's a bit out of fashion, isn't it? I'm having to change my vocabulary now. Oh, the places you'll go. So, I believe... 
that we're at such a moment, a from now on moment. I want to nail that if I can tonight. I want to highlight it. I want to inscribe it if I can on your heart and mind and spirit and on mine and on our collective will as Elim, the amazing Jack Hayford. It's it's great for us, Annie and I, to have uh, tonight uh, some special guests with us on the front row, uh, Sarika and uh, Krishana, who are from Foursquare UK. They lead Foursquare UK, came from Sri Lanka years ago, church planting here, and uh, a a great Pentecostal uh, worldwide movement And they have the responsibility and the opportunity to lead the churches here. Would you just stand and give a wave? And will you just welcome them? Jack Hayford, as many of you will know, is a four-square leader, great distinguished statesman of the Pentecostal worldwide movement. And, And just writing back in the anniversary, the centenary actually of Azusa Street some 11 years ago in an amazing book on the charismatic and Pentecostal century, telling the story the Holy Spirit poured out around the world. Jack, master wordsmith that he is, began to talk about that centenary and and, and the, the Pentecostal outpouring around the world and calling in its second century, our second century, for a revival of a movement of every tribe, language, people, and nation that would leap across age, gender, and culture barriers and would, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bring fresh mission to the world. It's no small call. But Jack has this phrase that gripped me as I was preparing this message. He says, I I think it's not just a, a moment in a calendar, but that the Holy Spirit has brought the church, has brought the Pentecostal church around the world to a moment, a moment for a fresh visitation, but also a moment that's to birth fresh missional action. As part of that worldwide movement, I I believe for us in Elim that there are some fresh, oh, the places will go, adventures of spirit-empowered mission ahead. That will be rooted in who we are, in our identity and experience as a Pentecostal people who believe in intimacy with Jesus and are expressing that in our worship. We're just moments together and we begin to praise him and we're expecting encounter with a loving God who delights to come when we worship him. Amen. We're a people of encounter. Keith Warrington's been reminding us that that's one of those distinctives of our identity as a people. Our worship, our prayer, our surrender and our openness before him represents that desire for intimacy that we have together. He comes to us and he speaks to us. And oh Lord... We long for you to do it more and more. Where faith and vision is sown and nurtured. But it requires of us that we are seeking to be freshly saturated with that Holy Spirit again, filled again. It's a moment to recognize that Jesus calls us out of the familiar boats, even of our best efforts in mission and ministry, to fresh adventures with him. Some months ago, we recommended as a leadership team um, a book that a number were finding helpful. Todd Bolsinger's um, Canoeing the Mountains, a good number of you have accessed it already and are commenting about uh, the challenges and the, the contents there. Using the story of those adventurers, Lewis and Clark, that James Glass spoke about a year ago on this very stage. In their search for the way through to the untapped west coast of America, they ran out of river as they arrive at the Rocky Mountains. And they face a from now on moment where either they're going to abandon the quest and fail in their mission or they're going to give up the canoes and the paddles and become mountaineers. 
Without training or experience of that, they choose the latter. They choose to learn how to lead the mission through uncharted territory. And Bolsinger, who teaches at Fuller Seminary and the West Coast of America, suggests that that is the church. That around the world, the Christian church, in what we've called Christendom, has had 1,700 years of privileged access and privileged position within many, many societies. But now, the church is facing an unprecedented change in landscape. Some of you have heard this. You've underlined, as I have, some of those comments and, and insights. And what Bolson just says is, it's not just a slight difference. It's radically different. And it's not going back to what it was. And in that landscape, he says, we the church are not to shrink back, but a step forward like those adventurers of old. And that God will help us to become learners again. Lead learners, maybe, but to be adaptive and flexible. Learning what to jettison and what to cling to. Clinging to core beliefs and core values and the irreducible, non-negotiable core of our faith. But going not alone, but together with the Spirit of God, he issues a call that the church would be adventurers again. Some of you, this is your language. Pioneer spirit. It's not just for a few brave entrepreneurial souls. It's a call to the church. In unbelieving Britain. In secular, accelerating into all kinds of confusion, Britain. The call to a church to get back into mission. Leading in uncharted territory, he calls it. You know, recently at a a meeting of some Elim leaders in Malvern, I asked three questions that I sensed God was asking of of us all as, as those that seek to serve him and carry some responsibility and leadership. The first one was, what is the season that you find yourself in? The second one, what is it that you steward? And the third one was, what is the stretch that God is asking of you right now? I I believe they're profound questions and they're not going away. So I want to share them with you tonight and ask them of you. If Jesus is calling us to a from now on season, everyone in this room, Everybody watching on the uh, live stream right now or hearing this in some other context. I I want to ask you those three questions. Duncan reminded us earlier of seasons and the importance of leaders knowing and calling the season sometimes. And I want to ask you of, of that question in your life. What does your now season look like? Is this a season in your life, in your ministry, in your church, in your family, in your own heart, of growth. Or maybe it's a time where things are pretty static or or a time of real challenge. There might even be some disappointment, some sense of decline, some sense of loss of energy, of maybe uh, appetite for fresh things. I believe that we need to be real about our own season In Elim, over this last year, we've been having some conversations to try and understand a little bit better the season that our movement is in, in different communities and and, and, and many, many different expressions of Elim. What's the season for us together? It's not an easy thing to get some full understanding of. Only God sees the full picture. But as we are hearing and praying and talking and engaging, I, I believe that he is going to be... Uh, enabling us to understand our season in our environment and landscape and begin to help us to know it purposefully for what is ahead. But I want to ask you in where you are right now. A God who specializes in changing times and seasons, but people who often don't fully understand or appreciate or admit the season we're in. And for many here to talk just of dreams and vision for a preferred future may seem so far away from the season that you are in right now. 
And then comes that word to Peter. Don't be afraid. From now on. The gap between our understanding of where we are and Jesus' promise that things are going to change is the place of encounter. It's where he begins to pursue you, to speak into your heart, words that you can trust. Not just mine, not just that motivating person in your life, but the Spirit of God speaking words to us that we can trust enough to take him by the hand and step up and start to step out. What's your season? Todd Bolsinger puts this suggestion to us, wrestling with this change of season. In a Christendom world, vision, he says, was about seeing possibilities ahead and communicating excitement. In uncharted territory, where no one knows what's ahead, vision is about accurately seeing ourselves and defining reality. As I'm starting to unpack that and just think through the implications of it in my own life, I think what he's trying to say is it's not just about motivating one another for these dreams and pictures of what it might be like, but being really real, honest, ruthlessly honest with what we're facing right now. What happens when you don't get a breakthrough that you've been looking for? What happens when, you, when you've run out of all the things to say and do and still the situation is unchanged? The dreams of breakthrough ahead aren't enough right there and then. We need that confidence of the pursuing voice of Jesus saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. There's more to come with me. We're going to do some things together. So the season for you and for us and for Elim, so important to us right now. But what, what do we steward? Not stopping there. We take his hand and he calls us out of the containment of where we are into the new. Stewarding for me is, a, again, one of those words that's resonant right now. Not just because of new responsibilities, but I'm thinking not only of finance and numbers, but what has God put within us? Your life and your story is evidencing moments where not just his word of grace and of acceptance and love came, but gifts were given. Gifts of leadership, gifts of ministry, gifts of creativity, gifts of administration. You can name them. There's so many diverse gifts given. And I don't know about you, but I don't often think of myself as carrying around a whole load of, of things, of gifts that God wants me to steward afresh right now. It's usually about the tool for the immediate job. But what about that prophetic gift that was stirring in you some years ago? What about that passion for evangelism? Where you know that's not just something you learned in a course. But God put something within your spirit. And I'm drawn again to, 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 to pray some prayers about what we steward that's beyond just the job description and the responsibilities. What about the prophetic vision of your heart that you've carried for years and at times treasured, but often also known times where they were maybe just kind of put away somewhere? And I want to suggest to you that Elim stewards many things. You may not have thought of it that way. We don't just have buildings and churches and attendance figures. We have people who are passionate about God, who really want to live to make a difference, who in their best moments are full of vision of the kingdom coming. But in all, many of the other moments as life happens, that so often becomes maybe pushed down. God wants to call us to consider what we steward. We have ministries and resources that I think could be freshly used by God. We maybe have some giftings. We, we just haven't looked afresh at some of those things. And I want to suggest to you that that's not just one group 
a, a working group, a committee, the NLT, the regional leaders, uh, or just the pastoral team of the, the city church. Or it, it, it's, that's a responsibility that we share. What has God put within you that he wants you to be fruitful with? It's not going to be quick answers to some of this, but from now on. Can we look at what we steward? What's in you? Maybe some of you need to remind some of those that you're close to or once were up close to when you had a word. Remember when Paul says to Timothy, I was there when I remember what we prophesied over you. I remember your, your, your mother and your grandmother. I remember he's telling him to steward something for the rest of his life and to stir it up. Could Elam be called upon by the Holy Spirit to steward the gifts, the people that are here and soon to come in ways that are more fruitful in mission? I think we could. What about the stretch? It's a funny word that. For you to grow in your calling, ministry, anointing, there's a stretch. For me to grow, there's a stretch. Again, it's not just about responsibilities out front. It's about what happens in the secret place. The stretch of faith that the Spirit might be calling for, for from you in some new area. I don't know about you, but I often feel unprepared, unqualified, even unworthy. I was uh, listening to something of Michael McIntyre's uh, biography on audible books just to pass some of the driving time. And I'm not recommending it because I can't remember if he says anything I shouldn't be recommending. <laughs> but I kind of am because it was really funny. There's a moment when he's telling this painful story of how he makes it in the big time. We see them make it, but we don't see the years of failure and misery and disappointment. He tells a story about walking in somewhere and he sees one of his comic heroes, Billy Connolly. And um, he, he's, he's so overawed. He, he, he thinks to himself, it's Billy Connolly. I, will I dare to go and speak to him? Michael has just won uh, a, a, an award. And some magazine has written him up as a newcomer, but they called him the king of comedy. And as Bill... Uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, Billy Connolly is talking to Rob Brydon, Welsh comedian, does the voices, does the accents. Michael rather nervously approaches them. Billy turns to him and I, I'm going to try the accent. Forgive me, all the Scots in the room. He says, you, it's you. Who are you? I read about you in an article. They call you the king of comedy. Jackie, forgive me. Forgive me, guys. I know it's bad, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Who are you? King of comedy. I've never heard of you. Can you imagine? He said he felt about this big. You ever felt like you don't belong, like you don't have enough stuff to deliver? Of course. But the stretch is about the things where we're not limited by the job description. We're not limited by other people's opinion of us. We're not limited just by what has been, but by what we, not in our own selfish ambition or our kind of overreaching, but as the Spirit of God works with our lives, I find he stretches us. Just a little while ago, I'm going to tell this one at NLT, I mentioned that my wife Annie had given me a stretch exercise for all the miles I'm driving. I was having back problems. I was having you know, some stiffness. She showed me an exercise that she'd only just learned to do. So it's really easy. You just lean up against the wall and you put your arms against the back, back straight against the wall. A wall would be handy right now, actually. <laughs> and you just lift like that. And don't take your elbows off the wall and go. And it's actually painful there right now. Okay? Um, try it later on in, back in your room. And I thought, I was telling the NLT about it. And one by one, in a coffee break, they started to do it around the wall. <laughs> Not one of them could do it. Even Duncan couldn't do it. Hooray! We all felt better. You know, you know, there's, there's some science in stretching. 
what your muscles won't do today. Actually, over time, the stretch. What about the stretch of the Spirit in your life right now? What about those situations? Some of us stop stretching. And we may be getting stiff and limiting our mobility and limiting our availability. And I want to say it's time for us to stretch. What, what would it be if Elim stretched out? There are times that we still tell the stories of in our history when someone took a stretch of faith. Some of you, it's in your story. I'm looking at some of you across this hall and you've got a stretch story. You didn't think you could do it. You didn't think that it would happen. Everybody else didn't think you could do it. But in the stretch of faith, over time, God did something that on your own, you couldn't have done. I sense that there's a stretch as we look to steward who we are and what we carry and what we have that is going to be personalized, but there's also a together stretch, the stretch of faith. From now on, the next 10 years for the church, for Elim, I believe we'll see more change than the last 30 years rolled together. We'll need to lead in a different landscape, pastor, steer, equip and minister through more change and acceleration than most past generations have seen. I believe we'll need leaders who know their season, but won't be limited by it. The God who changes times and seasons. I believe we'll need to be more intentionally stewarding the gifts and resources and people and responsibilities and opportunities that God has given us. Stretching in faith, stepping out in new faith-filled action. It's really hard to break familiar habits and patterns, to break the defaults and to do something fresh. But there are some wonderful signs of that happening all over our movement and the wider body of Christ. New ministries, chaplaincy. Had a moment with the chaplains earlier in the year where just going to say hello in, in, in the first few months of my fresh tenure in this role I was just rushing between appointments, but just 10 minutes before going in the room, God spoke to me. Hallelujah. And, and he just gave me a picture of these badges. I've left mine down there, but you have a badge around your neck. It gets you access into the building. And I felt God was reminding me that any good church history book will have something, not only about the, what the Spirit of God do, uh, did through the the. the, the, the outpouring at Pentecost and these heroics of faith, but it will tell you that Roman roads contributed to the spread of the gospel. It will tell you that the universal peace of the Roman Empire contributed to the spread of the gospel. It will tell you that, that, the, that the Greek language was used to spread the gospel, the trade routes. There are these what seem natural uh, pathways and elements that God uses in order to spread the gospel. I felt the Holy Spirit say, I've given these people an access areas pass into places that nobody else was able to get. And I went in and just said that. And as I said it, I felt really emotional and really excited at the same time. That actually, while it lasts in our society, there is a, there is a state-sanctioned access pass for believers in Christ to get into all kinds of places, oh, with the right spirit and the right, not just recklessly, but sensitively. And I suddenly saw something of the fresh breakthrough strategy of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder how many other fresh stretches there are going on right under our very noses. Right under the radar. I believe that it's time from now on for us to take that more seriously. Elam won't get its shape until some within it discover and step into the shape of who and what God has made them to be. Again, without wanting to embarrass him, but in that same meeting with leaders at Malvern some months ago, 
Richard Buxton, pastor of our healing church. Richard and Regina, if you're here, forgive me for sharing this once again. But Richard was talking about, just, just briefly asked him to share something, and he, he was talking about the fact that he doesn't see himself in Ealing primarily as a leader or a pastor or a teacher, although we believe you're gifted in all of those things, Rich. But he said, I'm a missionary. Started as a missionary, continued as a missionary, now I'm in London as a missionary. And those of us that were there in the room, it was a wow moment. It was a, oh yes, we're all missionaries, guys. I said, we're all missionaries. In the spirit that he meant that every single one of us are on the mission of Christ. In very different places, other places we'll go. Not always where we thought, but that's what it's about. So from now on. We're going to bring this into land in a moment or two. One of my favorite leadership helpers over the years from afar, Bill Hybels, said this about the placement of spirit-submitted leaders. You've been divinely placed in a position of influence. Your combination of skills, personality, and experiences are primed to shape the world and the lives around you. You're a leader, and now it's your time to lead. Not tomorrow, but today. Not somewhere you hope to be, but precisely where you are. Many leaders fall into the trap of waiting for a better environment, better tools, or a better team. It's time to stop waiting. There is another from now on moment in the New Testament. It's in Acts 18, and quickly, I want to draw your attention to it. Paul is in Sin City. He's in Corinth, a place that drives him nuts, a place where I think, maybe apart from Wynne Lewis, the most uh, impatient man that I've ever come across. <laughs> in love. I think Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was in, an impatient man. Impatient to get on with the next thing that God had called him to do. And there are times when we see that really manifest. But in the book of Acts chapter 18, he comes to Corinth. And partway through the story, something happens to him. It's a moment where he dusts himself down. There's been opposition. There's been uh, strife and contention. He's, he's, he's kept his pattern of going familiarly to the synagogue and to the Jewish believers and, and arguing and persuading them to believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and, and in Corinth here, he does that same thing. But as such is their, is their disrespect, not just to him, but to Jesus and the gospel. Such disdain, the Bible says, that they treat him with, that he, he brushes himself down. And he makes a statement that is about to change something. When they opposed and reviled him, verse 6, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul, when it's not going well, frustrated, I think discouraged with the apathy and the arrogance of those that he's trying to reach, they oppose and revile him, shakes out his garments and says, it's going to change. Though it may come out of his frustrations, I think that's born of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, he embarks on a more intentional, missional strategy to the Gentiles. To people that previously he's, he's, he's reached, he's spoken to, he's tried to persuade. In Athens, he's just come from there. But from now on, it's more intentional. The stakes are higher. The temperature goes up. And he's more determined to do whatever it takes to reach those that he thinks are going to be good ground for the gospel. In changing secular, liberal Britain, nations of Europe, around the world from now on. I believe that God wants us to find some fruitful ground for fresh mission. 
And that for some of you, that's a now word in your spirit. That the discontent that you've been feeling is, is not just frustration. It's breeding a holy discontent that's going to bring about some fresh action. Some commitment of will. And not just of words. I want to suggest to you that we are at a season in time that I believe is mirrored in other fellowships around the world where God is saying, from now on, I'm coming to you personally, nobody's excluded from that call. Where you are, in your boat, calling you to a new life with me. Oh, the places we'll go. The people that we're going to go to. And that that requires from us something of a now and a consistent committed response. It demands new strategies of Paul, reframing the methods and approaches and language for the mission at hand to reach the Gentiles. But wow, what a result. So from now on, where is the fruitful ground in our communities, our culture? How do we reach the people where we are and where we go? I want to bring this to something of a conclusion. If you can take me over to the two keys on the the slide, Steph, that would be great. I think two keys will help us in this. The first is our story, a shared story of the power of God at work amongst us. And the second is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It sounds so obvious for us to say, but the unchanging power of the good news we carry the passion and power of a people who have new life and are moved by the Holy Spirit to give it away to others is the very thing that God has entrusted us to steward. And I think that we're going to need to do in the season ahead some work to rediscover the gospel. Let me say it again because I didn't hear Mark Greenwood and Gary Gibbs say amen there. I think we're going to have to do some work to rediscover the gospel. In a society that is spiritually confused and lost and, and hostile and, 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 and not particularly tolerant with us, there are new sins, they're called social sins. And they trump in the eyes of the world and the ears of the world around us what we have presented as sin. And in that world, we're going to have to rediscover how to re-engage with Spiritually desperate, hungry, lost people that don't even know their own condition. Oh yes, we are. And it's going to need a new apologetics. It's going to need a new compassion. It's going to need a new courage to enter not with quick proof text verses or position statements, but with love and mercy and grace and the welcome of the Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. The gospel still changes lives. And I'm calling for in these next seasons us to have a glorious obsession with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying it from a vantage point that's up on high. I'm saying it down on the ground. Help us, Jesus, to present you, to witness to you in the power of the Spirit and to make that our glorious obsession. So I am going to say where I think Elim is going the next few years with that compulsion to communicate to this generation in words, lifestyle, deeds, works and wonders, giving our best to the pure, raw gospel of Jesus, how to reach the secularists, the atheists, those from the LGBT community, those of many other faiths, those blinded by materialism, the pure, raw gospel. With love and mercy. No self-righteousness, but his righteousness. Some of you are going to have to help us pioneer that. Find the ways, the words, 
the moments of divine appointment, the access all area moments of opportunity. And we're going to need the courage to take his hand, get up from the fish, get out the boat. I believe that our Together mission has four main priorities. They're quick slides. We'll come back to them later in the years, but let me close with these. Our mission is all about, from now on, making disciples. It's really simple, this. I borrowed it from everybody around the world that's in the same place as us. But here we go. It's all about disciples. You know it is. Every one of us, the same challenge. How do you make radical, sold-out disciples of Jesus in this society? Not 20, 30, 50 a century ago, but right now. That they are committed to maturity. They're not just attenders. They're not just, you know, kind of pulpit fodder for us. They're not even just numbers for us to record. They are radical, sold out believers in Jesus Christ who will pay the price in this generation to make him known. And they're going to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until he comes. And some of you are having some breakthrough with that. We need to hear your voice in the next phase of the journey. Our mission is to plant and grow churches. We are a a movement, a network, a, a family of hundreds of churches, now thousands of churches around the world. And it's messy. It's messy. It's hugely different. We're not a franchise here where everything looks the same. There are great advantages in that, but there's some real challenges in it when we try to do something together. But we are going to be a movement, I believe, the priority is going to be continually planting and growing healthy, vibrant, life-giving churches that are a blessing to their communities and are living for him and not just for themselves. Places where, and people where, the kingdom comes. And you know this, this is what Elim has done. I just feel a freshness in saying it. Disciples and churches, but we're also prioritizing leaders. It's what this summit is about. You're here as leaders in the Elim church movement. In many, many different expressions of that. We want to get better at developing and encouraging great leadership. Not that leadership is the only gift or the only label. Apostles and prophets and pastors and worship leaders and youth ministers and evangelists and and apologeticists and and all kinds of new fangled words to describe what the Holy Spirit is going to do as he released the gifting of those that are called to lead someone somewhere in Jesus' name. Leaders, whole leaders, finishing well leaders, All age leaders, younger leaders, veteran leaders. We might need a better word for that. Elim's all about disciples and churches and leaders. But finally, it's about nations. I said it's about nations. And and I've been on a bit of a journey with that myself because I thought a while ago that actually we couldn't put that one in the priorities. I want you to stress test them in the coming weeks and months and years. Some of you have already signed up to that long ago. But I think as I look, Elim has always been about nations. The Pentecostal movement around the world was was birthed as an all nation, all age, all cultures expression where God broke out every tribe and tongue. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile. Once we were out, but now we're in. Because God broke out of the familiar containment of a nation who thought it was only about them. And yet we're called to be a light to the nations. So I believe from now on, we have some things to do together. We have a journey of mission, and we have an adventure to become a people of mission together. It's not just meant to be pumped up words for a night. It's about a calling of Jesus. And some of you said that, I believe it, there's nothing new there. So I'm reminding you tonight of what he pursues us for. This is the only season we have right now. That's guaranteed to us. 
And guys, whether we want it to be or not, we're it. We are the church. We're it. Would you stand with me? The worship team come back. So I'm not going to prolong something to get my preferred result, but I am going to call for something tonight. I said maybe it seemed rashly, I believe that Elim is at a Kairos moment, a from now on moment, and that God is calling us to a moment and you and me to a moment from now on. A vision for the future is going to be about one movement and one mission, the mission of Christ. But we're going to need to understand that in its technicolor fullness, beauty and glory. So if we're a people of encounter, we've seen it already. It didn't take us long in entering our first service of the day earlier on to say, come Holy Spirit. So will you step right in there? Place of encounter place of worship it's not your quiet place your secret place it's a public place tonight but it is nonetheless a holy place because he is here and he's here for you and he stepped into your night not just because of what I've said but because of his passion to go even in spite of what I've said to speak your name and to call you out Guys, some of you in a place where you know that he's calling you into a new adventure, a new stretch, and it may be fearful. It may be, it, 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 it just may throw you right now. Some of you might say, Lord, I'm not, in, not at my best. Why not 10 years ago? Why not five years ago? Why not when I was in that season in my life where I've lost some confidence, I've lost some hope, I've lost some faith. I want to say from now on, the Spirit of God comes. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just make a response to him. And tonight I want to ask you that you do something. Step into an aisle. Lift your hands. Bow your knee. Get out the front here. But you're saying, I hear the voice of Jesus calling me from now on to a fresh adventure of mission together with others, not just my dreams and visions, but his kingdom dream. Will you, will you position yourself just a moment for a response to him from now on can you make a commitment tonight not necessarily to a detail but to a direction why don't you close your eyes in his presence lift your hands for a moment and first let's just worship him Lord here we are representing thousands of the Elam family we want to say, Lord, thank you for speaking to us where we are. Thank you for coming into our world and our hearts, minds, spirits, callings, dreams and desires and hopes, frustrations and regrets, and calling us out to a new adventure of mission. We believe it's not just about now and us, but there is a now moment to say, yes, Lord, I commit myself to becoming a missionary for Jesus in this culture, in this time. I commit myself to becoming an adventurer with you. Come on, lift up your voice. You say your words. From now on, Holy Spirit, we step up and we begin to step out and forward. We call forth the promises and the words that you have spoken to us about what is not yet. And we say, Lord, we will go. with you in the places and to people that you will direct us and we won't neglect the ones and the few 
just for the crowds. But we believe you're calling us to both. So in Jesus' name, here I am from now on. I yield and I welcome you and I stir up your calling on my life and for my church and for my movement and we say let your kingdom come let your kingdom come from now on disciples you and healthy and maturing churches leaders who are full of life and hope and transformation and nations that will be reached because of our yes in this moment and we will give you glory for what you do in the adventures that are ahead. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen.